0: Well, Merry Christmas. Christmas. My name is Ben. I have the privilege of being the vicar, meaning uh, pastor in training, and also the student director here at Shepherd's Gate. So, uh, on behalf of Shepherd's Gate, welcome. We're glad you are worshiping with us today, and welcome to those that are joining us online. Today, we are in part two of a series where we're focusing on Christmas, and we're focusing in on some of the names of God that are given in an Old Testament passage. And so if you would, you can go ahead, you can grab a Bible that's going to be in the, the chair back in front of you from the front row, they're going to be underneath you, and you're going to turn to page 573. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, or if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible and you want to gift that to them, uh, go ahead and take that Bible with you. You know, no alarm will go off as you head out, no one will chase you down. That is our gift to you. We want to make sure to get God's Word in as many people's hands as possible. Please know this, too, that we also have great resources for you on our app. So if you have the Church Center app, you're able to find uh, some discussion questions and other scriptures that complement what you'll be hearing in the message today. They're called car ride and couch side questions. You can find them there. uh, To dig a little bit deeper yourself, or even better yet, uh, discuss with family or friends that are maybe here with you uh, about the message and learn a little bit more about what God's word says. And so if you're there, we're in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verse 6. And so if you're open to that, or if you're looking off the screen, let's go ahead and actually read this text together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can see mighty God highlighted there because we're in our second week, and that is what we're going to be focusing in on today, is that we have a God who was promised in the book of Isaiah to be a mighty God. We know mighty to be a word that means powerful and to have strength, but what you might not know is that Hebrew term for mighty also means hero. And for there to be a hero, there has to be something to be overcome, doesn't there? there is a mighty God, a powerful God, a strong God, and a heroic God who is going to come on the scene. There's promised in the book of Isaiah, here's 700 years before Jesus is born, and those people would have known they needed a hero because what Isaiah is going to be telling them is, hey, you're gonna, there's trouble coming. You're gonna be in captivity uh, for into the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and then at the time that Jesus shows up on the scene, they are being ruled by an oppressive Roman government. So they want a mighty God. We all desire to have a mighty God. And actually, inside of each and every one of us, I believe we each also want to be seen as mighty. I mean, who here likes to be seen as powerful? Strong? Courageous? Maybe having a better question, better question, because, you know, no one wants to be prideful and be like, oh, I'm really strong. Who, Who here is the weakest person in the room? Nobody, no, does anybody want to shoot their hand up? Okay, maybe. In, weak, in, in weakness, God is strong. But we all, we all want to seem powerful. We all want to seem like we have it together and under control, and we can handle situations that we're powerful, that we don't need any other help. I mean, that's one of the most difficult things to do for a lot of us, is simply just asking for help. Well, here's a photo from me from uh, another lifetime ago. Before three kids... Uh, And my wife and I were were fitness enthusiasts at this time. That was kind of our hobby. Uh, We got into CrossFit and lifting and all this sort of stuff. And there's a lot of photos I could have shared with you. You know, like a a personal best in a deadlift or at a competition. Uh, But I chose this one in particular. So here, this is at a a strongman competition at a local gym. And my wife and I are there. And they have this cool rig. You maybe have seen this on TV, on ESPN or something. This is a smaller car than those guys. They have a special rig where you can deadlift the car with added weight into the trunk. So I thought that was pretty cool and I needed to try it out. And so as I approach it, there's the coach there. His name's JD. And he he actually kind of like pulls me aside. He goes, this is like a lot of weight. This is like 400, 500 pounds. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure I can handle this. What you don't see in the photo and you don't see in that prideful, snarky remark from me is that just the week before, I had knee surgery. So this is a photo that I'd love to share with you because I'm a doofus. (laughs) That's the technical term. Uh, That there's no reason, there's no reason on God's green earth that I needed to lift that weight. I wasn't in the competition. My wife was in the competition. They were just setting this rig up for the men's competition, and they just kind of opened it up. Does anybody want to try it out? And I thought, well, when am I going to have the opportunity to lift a car? So i got to go ahead and try to lift a car. Uh, Thanks be to God, I didn't actually injure myself any further, and I was still able to, to recover like I was supposed to. But there was this pride inside me that wanted to show I was strong and powerful, but really what's not seen there is the weakness and the instability in my knee at that time. I believe that's what we try to do a lot of the time. That we know, we know our weaknesses, we know our shortcomings, we know our faults. But on the exterior, to everyone else, we want to appear strong, we want to appear powerful, we want to appear mighty. And so that was roughly 500 pounds, just about. Here's another number for you. 350 trillion. According to some guy that's really good at math, this is how much Mount Everest weighs in pounds. 350 trillion pounds. I share that with you for this reason. Scripture tells us, Jesus actually tells his disciples, if you have faith, you'll be able to say to a mountain, be tossed in the ocean, and it will do that. So I was able, in my own might, and my own strength, and an unstable knee, maybe move around 500 pounds. That is not a drop in the bucket for 350 trillion pounds. If everybody here was a world-class deadlifter and everybody watching online, we wouldn't be able to move Mount Everest an inch. We wouldn't be able to budget. We wouldn't be able to move it at all. There are things that are this big and this looming in all of our lives, I believe. That we know the things that we're able to do, the things that we're able to move, the things that are within our power and with within our control. And then there's all these other exterior things that are much, much bigger than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine to move in our own power and in our own strength. And when we face those things, be them political, relational, financial, emotional, spiritual things that are these monster mountains in front of us, when we stand at the foot of those mountains and we look up at just how big they are, we know that in all of our might and all of our strength that we don't stand a chance in moving that thing. Which leads us to this feeling of hopelessness. And I want to ask you this morning, when is the last time or when have you felt hopeless? Because surely someone here, someone watching online is in that season of their life right now where they're facing something that is so big that they know they can't move it on their own and it is driving them to hopeless feelings, which will later and longer enough, it will drive them to despair and to have lost all hope. This season is a season that we not only set aside and is marked by celebrating the birth of our Savior, but in our society, it's also marked by more depression and more suicide than any other time of the year. Did you know that? There is more hopelessness that goes on between the holidays and an approach of the new year than goes on any other time of the year. And so this morning, let's go ahead and pull the veil back of what what we're going to try to accomplish this morning. There's, there's a story in the Old Testament. There's a prophet and his servant and they're surrounded by an enemy army. And the prophet is able to stand there in confidence and he sees his servant so nervous and not knowing what to do and the prophet prays that his servant's eyes be opened so he could see what he, the servant could see what he himself sees. That he could see that there's a mighty God and a mighty angelic army all around them and the servant's eyes are open. And he can find rest. For you this morning, my prayer and my hope is that God would open your eyes to see just how mighty and powerful and how good he is so that if you are there right at the foot of some sort of mountain in your life, be it a relationship that won't be able to be mended, or be it a diagnosis that you just received, or just the fact that you're grieving the first holiday season without that loved one again. If there's some mountain in your life that you have a God who is mighty enough to stand alongside you and he can do something about your grief, about your suffering, about your despair, and about your hopelessness. So let's go ahead and together, let's look at this. Let's look at the God who is mighty. And I'd love for you to respond to this too. So where do you, congregation, where do you see the power, the might of the God of the Old Testament? What are some of the miracles? Go ahead and shout them out that we see in the Old Testament. The Red Sea crossing, absolutely. Imparting the Red Sea and the Israelites being able to travel through. What else? The walls of Jericho falling down, absolutely. He only did those two. Anything else? Jonah, Jonah surviving, you know, three days in the belly of a whale. God feeding the Israelites with manna. God calling plagues down on Egypt. God creating everything and calling it into existence. God leading and redeeming his people, raising up judges, conquering armies. We see a mighty and powerful God. God calling down waters from above and below to flood the entire earth. There's a mighty, powerful God of the Old Testament, but what we all need to see is that same mighty and powerful God of the Old Testament is the very same God that we see in the New Testament and the same God that we are celebrating the birth of here as we approach Christmas. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Jesus isn't showing up for the first time on the scene in the manger. That he's actually been there throughout all of human history and even before that. That actually everything was created through him and for him and by him. That God's son existed before any of this existed. That is the same mighty God that is going to be in the manger, is the same mighty God that existed before the universe. Another photo for you. Anybody know what this is? It is not the inside of my knee. Someone did ask that. It's like, no, I don't know what that would be. This is a a photo of the observable universe, which made me ask the question, who took the photo? And where were they if that's the observable universe? That's a picture of the user observable universe, which according to the internet right now, they're estimating is about 95 billion uh, light years uh, e- across. And that it's ever expanding still. That they actually, as years go on, they see that it continues to get bigger and bigger, and actually the different galaxies continue to spread apart. That, is the universe, not just the world, not just the creation, not just the creatures, not just the atoms and molecules and things that we see here in our world, but the God who is in the manger, that was born of a virgin over 2000 years ago, was the same God that outside of time and space spoke and all of this came into existence. That I believe, is one of the clearest pictures of the might of God. Because there's situations in our lives where we go, I don't know if God could help me with this. Yet he spoke and that happened. That is the might and the power of our God that is far beyond our comprehension. This God of the Old Testament and then we actually see God in flesh, God incarnate, show up on the scene in the person of Jesus, fully man and fully God. And so we have to ask then, how did it, did it look any different? Or where did we see the power, the might, the majesty, the strength of God or Jesus in the New Testament? Again, you can just shout them out. Where did we see the miracles of Jesus? Resurrection. The resurrection, absolutely. Healing, healing the blind, healing the sick, healing the lame. Feeding the five thousand, multiplying just a couple fish, and loaves. Whoa. Catching the fish, telling them to cast on the other side, uh, being able to calm a storm, walking on water, calling Lazarus out of the out of the grave, healing the sick, healing the dead. Dying the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and dying on the cross which is his most miraculous miracle and the reason that he came where we see god's true power and majesty and we see god's might and power in this very big way in the old testament where he's doing these things where he's calling manna down from heaven where he's parting the seas where he's stopping the jordan in the person of jesus we also see this majesty and this power and this strength but we also see that it's very very personal That he calls out his friend, Lazarus, from the grave. That he goes and he touches a leper. That he sees that people are hungry and he meets the need that they have. That it's not just a God of might and power, but it's a God who cares personally. Going forward in the Hebrews text, it says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is speaking of Jesus. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That everything in creation is held together by Jesus. That he he is God. He is powerful again beyond our comprehension. That we cannot begin to fathom just how mighty and powerful he is. But if he's that powerful and that mighty, which he is, then what should be our natural response? Let me ask you this. When you're driving down the road or down the highway and you see an officer on the side of the road with a radar gun, how do you feel? He has power and he has authority, and you're going to get off the gas, aren't you? You're not going to tap your brake too much. He doesn't wanna, you does not want to see the nose of your car dive down. He'll pull you over for sure. Because it's not just enough for God to be powerful and him to be mighty and to have strength beyond anything that we could understand. But he not only has to be mighty for us to approach him, but he also has to be good. Because if he's not good and he's that powerful and that mighty and we are as wicked as we know we are, then we have no business being anywhere near him. But later in Hebrews, it says this. In Hebrews 10, verse 22, it says, let us draw near to God the powerful and mighty God of the Old and the New Testament, let us come close to him with sincere hearts, full of assurance, confidence that faith brings. Because we can be confident in a God who is not only mighty, he's not only a mighty God, but he is mighty good. And we know that from uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, where it says this, For actually, will you say this to me? For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is good news for you, and that is good news for me. That in our weakness and in our inability to do anything for ourselves, that God was not only strong enough and powerful enough and mighty enough to do something about it, but he was also good enough to come down and to take on the fragility of these human bodies. To be born in a lowly manger. to be be raised in obscurity, not in a palace, but in obscurity and to come to those who needed him, which is every single one of us, that while we were weak, that he was strong and that he was willing to take on our very weakness so that now he is able to empathize with us in every way because he was tempted in every way that we've been tempted. So he knows, he understands, we not only have a God who is mighty and powerful, We have a God who is mighty in his love towards us. And it is in that place that we actually know our role. That you're not called to be God. You're not called to do the things that God does. Because when we believe we're called to do the things God does and to be in control of all these external circumstances that surround us, that leads us to despair because we are not called to be God. We're not called into that role which I was reminded about earlier this week. See, on Wednesday, I was working on this message, and then I knew I needed to come into the office. We had programming for our students that night. So I was working on it in the morning, and I go, time to head in the office. I grab all my stuff. I go into the garage, uh, open the garage door, start the car, toss my work bag in there, and then I look in the rearview mirror. I realize, oh, trash day. They already came and grabbed the trash cans, but they're in the way, uh, so I got to go move them. Also, I'm so gracious and, you know, don't want my wife to have to worry about that sort of stuff. So I go ahead and move the trash cans. But what I didn't notice is on the way out of the car, I must have grazed a button. I must have pushed something. My car started sitting in my garage with all the doors locked. Go and test all the doors, go try the trunk even, like if I'm going to crawl in through the trunk or something. And in that moment, I could think to myself, this is within my own power and my own strength to handle this situation. And if I was going to do something like that, then I would probably pull my phone out and then look up my vehicle, year, make, and model, and figure out which window is the least expensive. <laughs> but I knew in this situation that I didn't have the right know-how or the right tool, so I had to call upon someone outside of myself to do something for me that I could not do for myself. I had a proper understanding. I mean, I was frustrated, but I had a proper understanding of what my role was in the situation. I needed to call on someone outside of me to do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. We see this clear as day in the ministry of John the Baptist. He actually says in the book of John, He says this, he says, he, Jesus, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. We must make more of Jesus and I need to make less of myself. He got it. Because in John chapter one, when it's speaking about John the Baptist and his ministry, he said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through, uh, through Jesus. John was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. That here, in the book of John, we don't actually have a nativity story. We don't have Jesus in the manger. We actually, John is this interesting book where it talks about Jesus being there at creation before all things, that he is the light. And here is John's job description. John, you're not here to be the Messiah. You're not here to be the light. You're here to tell other people about the light, the promised one, the Messiah, who is to come. And John knew it, even though John had an amazing following. As he starts baptizing people at the banks of the Jordan River, he has thousands of people coming to him. It was enough to cause concern for the religious leaders of the time, where they went and they approached John, and they go, who are you? Are you the Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Like, who are you, John? And at that time, he could have been like, I'm John the Baptist. I have a blue check mark next to my name. I'm verified. Like, celebrity John, you know underscore, the Baptist. That's like that's his title. No, no, no. He knew his place. He knew his role. And he confessed when he was asked. He said, they asked, who are you? And he confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one everybody's waiting for. I'm not the mighty one that was promised. I'm not going to bring about the change that everyone's waiting for. I'm not Christ. Which is something that all of us today can still do that very same thing. And actually, I'd love for us all to say this together. I'm not God. Feel a little bit of weight? Come off your shoulders. You're not God. I'm not God. When we act like we're God, we think that we need to be in control of all of our situations and that we can manipulate and that we can try and that we can grit our teeth and make a difference. And in doing so, we exhaust ourselves or. If we think that we're God and we don't exercise any sort of ability to try to change a situation anymore, then that leads us to that hopeless feeling because we're just at the foot of a mountain. And instead of trying to climb that mountain, we just give up and say that relationship's never gonna be fixed, or my health is never gonna improve, or you know, I'll never see that person again. I don't know, I'm gonna turn these finances around. What we have to realize is that you're We're not God. I'm not God. You're not God. That there is a God, a God who's mighty and a God who's good. Again, we see in John the Baptist, and in the way that he lived his life, he had the opportunity to do what he was called to do. Not only to baptize Jesus, but to do this. So in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, John is here with all of his followers on the banks of Jordan, doing his thing, ministering, teaching, baptizing people. And he sees a familiar face, because if you didn't realize, this, this is Jesus' is John, the Baptist's cousin. He sees a familiar face. And as he sees him coming towards everyone, he has the opportunity to do what he came to do, to witness to the light. And he says, Behold God! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know my role, my role is actually just to point to Him. I am just this neon sign pointing to Jesus and saying, this is who he is, this is his role, behold, it is God in flesh, the mighty God that was promised over 700 years ago, the same God that was promised all the way back in Genesis, he's here, he's in the flesh, it's hard to comprehend, it's hard to understand that here, a a person in bodily form, fully God and fully man, he's here, behold everyone, the thing that you've been waiting for, the thing that you've been hoping for, the Messiah, the promised one, the God that could do something about the situations that you can't do anything about yourself. He is here. Behold, look, God is in our midst. In doing so, in baptizing Jesus, John fulfills the ministry that had been given to him. And here in this season, where we have so many distractions of decorating and prepping and food and parties and and presents and all this stuff. We look to so many other things. It is so simple what God is calling us to in this season right now. In every season is to remember to look. It's God. Look, in the person of Jesus, it is God. It is God in flesh who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so no matter what the mountain is that you are at the foot of right now, if there is one in your life, or if you know someone who's walking through a difficult season, that all they need to do, it may not change the situation, but to recognize this, that there is a mighty God who is mighty good, and that he is with them. God might not change the situation. He might not change the circumstance. But it changes our the posture of our heart that we are able to rest in the palms of a creator God who knows you, knows every hair on your head, knows every thought that has gone through your mind, knows you better than you know yourself. He's mighty. He's good. And He's here in your life. So that we can turn from the hopelessness and despair, and that we can for once find rest. That there's a mighty mystery that God came down as a baby. And that we get along and to look into that and to understand it and to comprehend the mystery of that goodness. That that same child that was born in a manger would be willing to die a death that we deserved. And that he conquered sin, death, and the grave for us. And that is good news for us this morning, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for all the ways that you work, and God, and the, the mystery that you, you chose to work by sending your Son. God, the, 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 the mighty God of all creation would choose to come near to us so now we may be able to come near to him. God, I pray all the things that weigh us down, that make our hearts heavy, all the mountains that stand in front of us, God, that we would be able to hand those things over to you knowing that with just a word, God, that you could change anything, but God, that you are good enough and loving enough that we can find comfort even when those things don't change. God, let us take these next days and weeks as we approach the celebration of your son's birth to spend time pondering and wondering and beholding and looking at the majesty and the mystery of you coming to us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.